0: You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy Seven and Johnny Venerable. All about your Arizona card. All right, and hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, We are approaching, not quite there at 100 and I believe it's 140 episodes. Uh, Excited to be able to be with you to talk about the Cardinal schedule release. We'll open up with a little bit of draft talk now that the class is somewhat settled. You've gotten through some of the... Uh, You know, first type of press conferences, seen a little bit more of the team. It's all been shaping up, signed a few free agents, and Cardinals might be losing one of their team captains from the last few years. Here to talk about all of that with me is my co-host, the venerable John Venerable. And uh, Johnny, the draft has settled. The schedule is out. How are we feeling about the Arizona Cardinals? And in particular, what are we thinking of their draft haul now that it's had a chance to sink in a little bit?
1: yeah thanks, Blake. Welcome, everybody. We've had a little bit of a hiatus. It's been a fast and furious draft season that came to conclusion about two weeks ago. We've gotten a schedule between now and then. We have plenty of time to dissect that. In fact, if you happen to jump on the uh, what was it somewhat two hour live stream we did uh with some other cardinal collaborators earlier this week, go check that out on our uh twitter uh feeds. but yeah, Blake, you know, I think. When we look back at this draft class, most frustration that came from just the first pick that the Cardinals had, that being rookie linebacker Xavier Collins, had less to do with the individual, more to do with the enterprise, the Cardinals' plan or lack of plan that they've had with the position in the past. That being Hassan Reddick, of course, everything that went down last year with Isaiah Simmons, we were all having flashbacks to both of those rookie seasons where you got minimal contributions from two very talented players. Redick especially showed you this year that his development was grossly butchered by the Cardinals, and, and Simmons is a, uh, to be determined, although we're both very high on him. But as we're recording this here on a Friday, May 14th, the Cardinals had their first day of rookie minicamp, and if it hadn't been made abundantly clear by reports uh, from Ian Rappaport and such, the Cardinals are moving on from Jordan Hicks as their starting Mike linebacker, and it is Zavian Collins' job for better or worse. Uh, so much so that Steve Kime, Cliff Kingsbury, everybody involved has made it clear Zavian Collins is your starting Mike linebacker. Now, Xavier Collins rightfully so, is downplaying that, has respect for the veterans in front of him, not only Jordan Hicks, but Tanner Vallejo, who were both very high on Blake and is coming back now. But, you know, I tweeted this out earlier today. The Cardinals are doing what they need to do. They're going to ride or die this year by their most talented players. And Kingsbury made a comment that kind of made me cringe a little bit earlier today, saying, you know, we're going to live with his mistakes because he's so talented and And I thought to myself, where was that leeway for Isaiah Simmons last year? Isaiah Simmons, yes, would have made mistakes, but we all believe watching him a year ago, he would have made much more impactful plays than either Devondre Campbell or Jordan Hicks. But that's the past, the future is now, and the future is two first-round six-foot-four-plus inside linebackers in Simmons taking over for Campbell full-time, of course. And Xavier Collins, who is yet to play an NFL snap, the 16th overall selection, taking over for jordan hicks blake
0: yeah th- th- for a lot of people the comments that we mostly heard was uh, very interesting is, John, you're right. It, it's almost a you can't have your cake and eat it too. We complained last year about Simmons not playing. Suddenly, zaven Collins is anointed the starting job, and suddenly people are saying, oh, this is terrible. You can't just take it away from Hicks. Well, I, I don't see an issue with that. I think a big part of this decision is that, as we talked about in draft night, John, the Cardinals diagnosed that they weren't going to be able to get a top corner. The top receivers are going to be gone. One of the positions that they knew that they liked well enough and needed to be upgraded was Jordan Hicks in the center of the field. And when it comes to looking at the difference between him and Simmons, I think a lot of it may cement itself around the fact that you had Devondre Campbell playing and doing a fine job last year. Basically being able to hold off the likes of Simmons up until this year. Whereas, John, as we watched down the season last year, Jordan Hicks, what we always had talked about was, hey, he's your Kevin Minter style, Mike. He's not going to be a guy that you're going to want to have in coverage all the time. He's not going to be a player that's going to be um, someone you can put on tight ends. He may have led the team in tackles the last few years, but with how Vance schemes his defense and schemes tackles into his Mike linebackers, really then the question ends up coming down to, all right, like are you going to be having a weak link in this Cardinals defense? I think right now they looked at the Cardinals and said, man, like the weakest links that we have might be at that Mike linebacker position. Jordan Hicks seeks a trade. I don't have an issue with it because if you're talking about bringing a player in, the complexity of the defense, of being able to have the responsibilities calling stuff out, I think there's enough veteran talent on this Cardinals team that it's not like he's going to be a rookie thrust into, you know, having to lead all these young linebackers or having issues. I think that he will get at least a bit of help. I think that he's also in a spot where if you had to say, all right, we got George Kittle. We got Isaiah Simmons has to blitz off of the edge to be able to make sure or even spy a mobile quarterback like say a Trey Lance, who's gonna be the guy in coverage. To me, I would prefer to take a few lumps in coverage from Zayvon Collins, knowing that when we saw down the stretch Hicks just really looked like he just lost, whether it was a physical decline or just even a, a mental just not wanting to have to throw his body in there. He just started missing tackles that an old Jordan Hicks of 2019 would have never missed in a million years. That, to me at least, I think the Cardinals looked at Jordan and was like, all right, he's, he's done, he's out. I think Jordan also, recognizing the position, wants to try to put himself in a better place, knowing, hey, I'd rather be traded to a team if I could versus being camp cut. I'm afraid that he's not going to find that his market's going to be very uh, open, unfortunately, even with a team like Philly. Um, you've mentioned the Titans before, John. It'll be interesting to see at least what happens and where he lands. But I thought that was at least something that was expected. And honestly, I'd prefer the Cardinals to be direct with what their appointments are versus, hey, yeah, we're going to play Isaiah Simmons all the time. And no, 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 we're, no, we're not. Uh, let's talk about that round two pick, Rondell Moore, who uh, I was really funny. I was looking at pictures today of. Uh, Some of the players, they've had mini-camps, rookie mini-camps are out there. Rondale Moore looks like he's about twice as thick in his legs as Devontae Smith. He really does live up to that Sticks nickname. The legs just look so skinny. I think at least overall, thinking back on this one, the fact of the matter is, if there was a preference for the Cardinals to look at as far as the receiver position was at the different spot, I think you could probably do worse. There's still, I think, a concern or two about health. But in the meantime, right now, John, the... Uh, first two picks, I think at least for the most part, let's assume that if Kingsbury and the Cards are going with more 10 personnel I think those two at least are going to have enough of an impact it remains to be seen at least if Andy Isabella can you know pull it together and hold off more but I think those first two picks at least for the most part at least I feel more confident about those two being instant impact then again I said the same about Josh Jones and sure enough he's been sitting behind now at least for the most part as a uh, backup offensive lineman seems like he may be a backup entering his second year as well um uh, what were some of your thoughts ultimately on uh, more? And then we can get into kind of the mismatch of rounding out the round three picks, especially with how Tay Gowan seems to have cemented himself as a Cardinals kind of community. Uh, I guess I'd say fan favorite would be the term. Uh, thoughts on more before we get into those guys, John?
1: Yeah, I think if you had a checklist of everything that you'd like to see. From not only Moore, but the I think the entire draft class. or certainly their big name additions, Collins and Moore especially, just you know says all the right things. Every story you hear, super high character. Rondell Moore, there a story came out that he expected to be a first round pick on Thursday night. Didn't hear his name get called, which you know, you know Blake, you and I were not surprised. Rondell Moore did not go in the first round. Elijah Moore didn't go in the first round. I, I mean. I thought Rondell Moore went probably where he was going to go all along. I thought he was a firm second-round pick, but he just thinks that highly of himself, and he should believe in himself. He went and worked out at 1 in the morning. He was so frustrated, so motivated, um, and it it reminds me just of every great young talent that wants to pay back the teams that that didn't take him. Um, And it just you know, coming from somebody who's five, six and a half, maybe five, seven on a good day, it comes with being a a smaller guy. You got that huge chip on your shoulder, right? And I think it, it meshes well with the Cardinals mentality this year of being an underdog team, because they're certainly going to be an underdog in the NFC West. But I think that if he is able to stay healthy, that's the biggest thing. His, His freshman year, at Purdue was unrivaled in the big 10 in 2018, but that was a long time ago. He opted out this, uh, or did he opt out? He, he was hurt in 2019 played sparingly. I believe this past year and everything was a mess with the big 10 season. Anyway, he just, he has not played consistent high level football in two plus years. And I noticed Mel Kiper had mentioned he added some weight to try to bulk up for the next level each of the past two years lost a little bit of his explosiveness. He's gotten that back by all accounts with what we've seen in his offseason workouts and now at minicamp for rookies. Uh, I think that we, this has been said at nauseum. I probably said it already on this podcast. He is going to be everything the Cardinals had hoped Andy Isabella would be from a return standpoint. Jet sweeps underneath passing game. I think he'll receive some carries out of the backfield, or we'll see split back sets with he and Chase Edmonds or James Conner. Um, he's just a the ultimate versatile chess piece. We're used to saying that about our inside linebackers, a la Isaiah Simmons. But but I really do believe Rondell Moore is never going to be. And I could be wrong. He could end up being Steve Smith. But you know, I saw a comp the other day, and he's like, well, he's a, he's a little bit thicker or better version of Tavon Austin. And I'm like, you know what? I would probably take that for where the Cardinals took him and where Tavon Austin went in the top 10. If he's utilized correctly from day one, and there are some question marks with, with Cliff Kingsbury, as there always is, I, I think that maximizing his touches, getting him so many touches on a given Sunday, I think he's going to solve all the ailments from a Cardinal return game that it has been stagnant since Patrick Peterson's rookie year or when LaRod Steven Howling was returning punts, or excuse me, returning kicks. I think his physicality after the catch is what will separate him. Really, the Cardinals outside of DeAndre Hopkins do not have a receiver, small, big, old, young, that can break tackles on a consistent basis like this young man. So I think, along with Xavier Collins, there's a, clearly they have a clearly defined plan, which is not something they've had for the rookies recently, where they know that I mean, this season's all about winning. They have to win. They have to get in the postseason. Jobs will be lost if they don't. And you have to play your best players. And I think Rondell Moore, like Xavier Collins, Rondell Moore getting 10 to 12 touches potentially per game or looks per game, targets per game, is what's in the best interest of this team. Not A.J. Green, you know, at you know, with all due respect to him, getting a bunch of targets 32, 33 years of age. It's a young man's game, explosive playmakers. This kid has every opportunity to cement himself as a legitimate weapon for Kyler Murray, and I think will be the perfect complement underneath with Hopkins and company, Blake.
0: Yeah, the comparison that I like, and this is one of the interesting things comparing him to Isabella and other players. Every player is different in where they are, but there just seems to be a different level of chip on Moore's shoulder, maybe because of some of the different areas of his height. He also, at least from... The athlete type, you talk about explosiveness in other places. Uh, obviously, he just seems like he drives his feet into the ground a lot harder. The the best thing I can think of, at least, is it looks like you're watching Anquan Bolden with that physicality and that toughness, yet inside of Kyler Murray's body, <laughs> where you've got that kind of elusiveness, that speed, and that small size of just being slippery. So I think that those are the two guys that I think we'll hear a lot of. The other Cardinals players, at least, that are, it's going to be interesting because that an athlete, at least in Wilson, that they draft. I am very curious to be able to find out at least if he ends up being the guy or if we end up talking more about Tay Gowan, who, the way that I at least described him to our site manager, Seth Cox, he said he couldn't put it any better is Tay Gowan, the way he plays on the field and the way that he measured out in the weight room and the combine drills, as far as an athletic standpoint goes. It looks like the two match. Like, he plays up to his athleticism. Whereas with Marco Wilson, you see this freak athlete, but then you end up seeing whether there's lapses, there's misses that are there. The question's going to be how much of it's going to take, you know, coaching up for this guy who's in this freak athletic position versus Tay. I wouldn't be shocked if they look at Marco and say, hey, maybe a." he is a, we talk about him as a potential move to safety. Now, Cliff Kingsbury doesn't think that. He thinks he can play inside or outside. They have him as a safety. Um, I am very curious because... I think most all of their picks have a pretty good chance to stick this year. Obviously, we talk about Victor DeMuchije, uh I believe is his last name, uh, as being kind of your Marcus Golden-type player, guy who will make a living on special teams. Michael Monet will be interesting. That's a athletic upside versus tat Nation side, the athlete obviously being uh, last year's backup center and uh, the technician, much more of an AQ Shipley type, being Monet. The guy who I think at least is interesting here is James Wiggins, and that was the trend that we talked about with Cardinals players is if this was the 2000 and, say, 19 draft where all these guys are in you'd be talking about home run after home run picks for with more with Wiggins um, with the way that even Collins was a remarkable player although his best year was this past season Marco Wilson even was a highly anticipated corner uh, talk about some of the day three picks because I, I honestly think that the Cardinals are more likely to sign a veteran corner hopefully we won't see too much of Wilson play I depending on how well Gowan's able to adapt both of those obviously are big Florida programs What are some of your thoughts, at least, about the different day three picks? Because my favorite of these ones is probably James Wiggins. It's just in the safety of with the Arizona Cardinals have, you know, you're probably expecting him to be hopefully a Justin Bethel type on special teams with that explosiveness. Uh, It's just, you know, been a few years for some of these different guys, and the roster for Arizona is pretty much stacked. Uh, There's one more... Player that we'll talk about a little bit after this, but talk about the rest of the draft class. Yeah,
1: I would agree with you. I think a veteran corner is is coming at some point. That could be one of Kime's time 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 signings, maybe in July or early August. It's yeah, to say. Um, I also think that there there could be some smoke here with a, with a certain tight end out of Philadelphia, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I, I like both of the the day three corners. Listen, you just need one of them to pop. You need one of them to be a contributor. You've got Malcolm Butler now. You've got Byron Murphy. I would imagine even if things break well this year, cornerback's gonna be a position that they monitor going into next offseason as well. But I will say you can have a frontline defense without a top-tier corner. You can't have a frontline defense that can't stop the run, or that can't rush the passer. The Cardinals had a top-five defense in sacks last year without Chandler Jones or J.J. Watt. They have both of those players now and two first-round inside linebackers, upgrading two inside linebackers that were underperforming, that were below-average players on a defense that I thought made some significant strides. So anybody who's got reservations about this secondary, specifically this cornerback group, I get it. But again, I watched a lot of quality Uh, cornerback play from Patrick Peterson over the years and seen a lot of dumpster fire, just cardinal defenses that were all encompassing. So one does not equal the other. I think they can still have a very special defensive season without contributions from either day three corner. But I agree with you, Blake. A lot of people, Seth Cox mentioned this in in one of his articles, Tegowan could be the steal of the draft. The learning curve is significant. And I would Caution people with he and Wilson if you think they're going to contribute this year. I think right now, right today, right now, when when rookie camp begins, they're going to get their first look at either of these guys, obviously in pads with, with the bird on the helmet. They'll have a chance to diagnose kind of where they're at, but I think that if we see a quick signing of a free agent corner, a Breland, somebody like that, maybe even a Richard Sherman, that would tell you these guys might be a little bit further along or not as long as we we would like in terms of their development and that's okay Byron Murphy still can't get on the field 90% of the time in year three for Vance Joseph and everyone's high on him it's a difficult position to play Patrick Peterson came into this league as the fifth overall selection and was really below average as a as a year one corner Jeff Okuda for the Lions last year was was torn apart in, in many instances he was the top corner in the draft the third overall pick so I think it's fair that we ask either of these guys to be starters I think you're looking at, can they get some time as reserves, make a play or two throughout the season? Can they be gunners on special teams? Are they active? That's what I'd like to see in terms of their development. But again, there was a reason Drake or Patrick was signed right before the, the, the season started last year and started all 16 games. Veterans typically at the cornerback position, that's what Vance Joseph is going to lean on. This defense is very veteran-led right now outside of you know they're Mike linebacker, the guy who calls their defense, which is I think is pretty funny. But Blake, I, I'm with you. I think that you know, day three picks, no matter where they're at, they're lottery tickets. And and if you get anything out of them, I don't care that the Cardinals traded up for Wilson. They did that with a day three pick next year. That's gravy. And obviously we'd love to have everybody turn into you know, I, I don't even know who to who to mention as a quality day three pick because this team doesn't hit any on them. But Larod Stevens Holling. Rodney Gunter was a quality day three pick. But your bread and butter is made. Meat and potatoes are on day one and two, first through third. The, that's how your roster is built. Uh, occasionally, you'll get lucky with an undrafted guy. But you know, outside of the two corners, Blake, I, I think it's going to be an uphill battle for the rest of the class to make the roster. I think you're probably looking at maybe practice squad-esque for them. This mm-hmm. The center that they took from Penn State— that's a really hard position group to crack. And I know they they took the time to draft this young man because of the fact he's a fifth-year senior, he's a pro, he's somebody who's going to come in and not need a lot of refinement for technique. He's probably maxed out his athletic ability. So you're going to know pretty quickly whether or not he's going to stick because unlike, you know, let's say DJ Humphreys, once upon a time who we had a discussion about this morning, Blake, you had you utmost room to grow, right? Whereas seventh-round pick... Penn State fifth year senior. This is probably what you're going to get, and he's going to go into a position group with grown men and a, and a position coach with Sean Krugler that demands the utmost from his players. So that that to me, again, if any of these guys make the team, I, I Wilson especially will make the team. I have no doubts about that. But I think the Cardinals. You got to remember too, if you've been following this team for some time, this this is where the Cardinals have been building toward since they picked Kyler Murray first overall. This is their third offseason. It's year three. Your roster should be difficult to make. These rookies should have a difficult time making this roster. It's why I think Blake and I were okay with trading away picks for Rodney Hudson, of course, DeAndre Hopkins. If you think Marco Wilson is special and you want to trade up for him, do it because you know what? Historically, it's hard for fifth, sixth, seventh rounders to make their team traditionally, and then you combine that with the fact that most people – the general consensus with the Cardinal roster, when I talk to fans, when we listen to the media, it's a top, it's a fringe top 10 roster in the NFL. It's certainly a playoff roster, but the reason that most people don't assume they're a playoff team, combination of their division and, and who's running the show as their head coach. But their roster, top to bottom, is stacked. And so I think I'll be even more impressed if these day three rookies not only make an impact but are active and make the roster i mean you talk about a guy like evan weaver last year who was the big 10 or big 12 pac-12 defensive player of the year i mean he was stashed away on the practice squad all year so that was last year so now they've only refortified this group even more it's going to be difficult but i'm anxious to see what happens
0: yeah absolutely all right john uh last one i want to talk about briefly and mention is uh, the tight end position Because the Cardinals' tight end room is essentially right now, uh, it's Max Williams, Daryl Daniels, and then you got a couple of what I'd call just Jags, like a Carrie Angeline he doesn't block as well, doesn't receive as well. Ian Bunting, basically the same. Uh, They did sign Bernhard Seikovitz out of Austria, big 6'5", 262 pound guy, went from a, well this is kind of interesting, went from a wide receiver aspect at about 220 pounds, gained 30 for last year's NFL Combine, didn't end up signing with any teams, no team picked him, comes in this year at 262, ends up being a much more fluid type of athlete. That would be a guy where if you're talking about a Dan Arnold, who, let's be fair, he was with the Saints for only one or two years, was a practice squad sort of guy, came in with the Cardinals, is able to make a certain level of impact. Don't know if he's going to be ready for that right away, but maybe you're talking about if it's not year two or year three, you're at some point going to have to look at getting a guy on the field who's going to be able to be a larger mismatch type of problem. Uh, That would be an interesting player to see if could stick on the roster, simply due to the fact that unless Cliff Kingsbury is going to run nothing but 10 personnel, you got to have it at least three tight ends on your roster, and currently you only have two. Perhaps you add another veteran, but in the meantime, at least, I would think they'd put money toward cornerback first, obviously. Uh, let's shift to talking the Cardinals' schedule, obviously, at the time we have left. I like looking at these in terms of four week breaks because it's kind of where it used to break up the schedule pretty easily you'd say here's the start to the season you get into kind of the midpoint of that season you usually end up seeing the bye somewhere in the middle and then you have the back half stretch where it finishes in the last six games and then the final four are really what determine uh, whether or not you kind of hold on to your position and are able to make the playoffs crawl back in or if you end up like we saw the Cardinals last year being what seemed like a lock and then falling out of the playoffs entirely Uh, obviously the Cardinals are are uh, not giving any favors for these first four games. It looks like the NFL at least decided to uh, give them a, probably the tougher part of their schedule as with the beginning and the end. Let's talk about Week 1 at the Tennessee Titans. Week 2 at home against the Minnesota Vikings. The Patrick Peterson, well, I mean, I could say the uh, Mason Cole revenge game, but I don't know if he's going to be starting for them, at least more as being just a backup. Week 3 on the road, to make the team, uh, exactly first. at least. Hey, at least Arizona—they traded a, him away for a sixth. We're able to get a pick with that, get another guy back for a seventh on a cheaper deal. At least takes away from the fact that you just used a third-round pick on the guy. Uh, week three against the number one pick in Trevor Lawrence at the Jacksonville Jaguars, and then what I've called the most pivotal game of the season, week four in the afternoon on the road against the Los Angeles Rams. John, how do you see this early part of the schedule shaping up? Because I think when we ran through this, the Cardinals best bet, I think, would be to win early against Tennessee, win against Jacksonville, and then try to pick up a game against the Vikings or the Rams. Now, maybe you flip the Titans in the Vikings game, but I think the Cardinals would want to start 3-1. and one. I had them going at least at this point two and 2-2 two specifically because of what I'll call the McVeigh effect, but unlike where I said on the live meeting, it wouldn't shock me if they did come out and were able to play well with the Titans, especially considering the Cardinals added players to their team this roster, and the Titans kind of let a lot of guys walk away.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I th- I think week one, this is, I'm not going to say one of the easier games to predict, but I think the Cardinals win this game. I think it's the perfect chance to play this team. I think that Tennessee has had a, a lot of turnover, both offensive personnel and their coaching staff. They lost their offensive coordinator to the Atlanta Falcons, who has been instrumental, Arthur Smith, in resurrecting Ryan Tannehill's career. You, I don't think that can be understated. Um, and then you, lock, you talk about losing two, two of his three premier pass catchers in Jonu Smith and Corey Davis. Uh, that that team is is in big time transition mode. I don't I don't care how good Derrick Henry is. Uh, if the Cardinals are going to come in Week One and, and lose to a running back, that tells us more about the Cardinals than it does Tennessee. But I I like them to win that game. I actually think that like last year, they're going to get off to a fast start. I've got them going. Three and one through the first quarter of the season. I think they're going to start three and zero. I can't pick them to beat the Rams in week four. And we talked about this off air, Blake. I, I can't have them pick. I can't pick them against beating the Rams until we see it actually happen. So uh, I'm going to put that as an L. But I think, listen, uh, Kyler Murray, for for whatever it is, plays really well to begin the season. Maybe it's less wear and tear on his body. I think they're going to really try to reprioritize the run game. Rodney Hudson, James Connor, the fact that you've got continuity now on the right side with Kelvin Beecham and, and whomever's playing right guard, I have the utmost confidence in Sean Kluger that that unit's going to be humming. Max Williams is back as your predominant tight end from a blocking standpoint. And then I just think, I, I this defense to me has premier talent at every level. You've got an all-pro safety Malcolm Butler, who knows Tennessee fairly well, is an upgrade over Patrick Peterson, maybe not in namesake, but in, in pure play. Byron Murphy I'm incredibly high on, and then their front seven right now of their linebackers, three of the four are first-round picks, and Marcus Golden was a second-round pick. I know that's not everything, but they have just a gross amount of talent right now, more so than that they've had at any point coming into a season since maybe 2016. So I like the Cardinals to start fast. I think they'll beat up on a pocket quarterback in um, uh, Kirk Cousins in Week 2. I just think Jacksonville doesn't have enough talent to hang with this team, even though the Cardinals will have to go cross-country. And I think the Rams, again, I have to see it to believe it. So I think they'll start
0: 3-1 to begin the season. I, I feel like until I can see them go out and beat the Rams, especially when it's a road game versus a home game, Cardinals seem to have been really beaten badly at home for whatever reason, have almost contended better with the Rams on the road. I've got them starting 2-2 two two at least. I know we talked about in the podcast about the potential to start 3-1. and one. I think that 2-2 two and two is there. For me, the trouble comes in is if you lose to Tennessee, you lose to Minnesota, suddenly you're talking about that Rams game being pivotal to get to a 2-2 two and two schedule. And we talk about Jacksonville as a trap game. That's one of those games that you wouldn't be able to overlook because a 1-3 and three start, that would not necessarily completely doom your season, but considering the stretch of games that they have upcoming and how difficult it is in the NFC West, you'd be having to play catch-up with the other teams that are there uh so let's move on to the second segment that's there the san francisco 49ers in week five will jimmy garoppolo be starting will trey lance be starting i've said that i could see this being an alex smith handing it off to callin kaepernick later in the season type of situation Uh, We've got the additional week, uh, I guess you'd say week six game. That's the 17th game of the season. This is on the road at the Cleveland Browns, which they're probably one of the more complete teams in the NFL this season. It'll depend on if Baker Mayfield can play at a game manager level, kind of not screw it up, or if he takes the next step into becoming one of the better passers. You've got the hapless Houston Texans coming to town. That will probably be, a home game for the Cardinals in terms of Texans fans may be rooting for J.J. Watt and DeAndre Hopkins over their own players. And then the first nationally televised game, now, if you want to count the preseason, we'll have a Week 2 game, 5 p.m. on a Friday night on ESPN against the Kansas City Chiefs. That's the first time, technically, that Cliff Kingsbury and his college quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, uh, have visited with the Arizona Cardinals. I should say the Cardinals... Uh, yeah, they'll be visiting at home, I believe. Uh, but that's preseason. You're talking about teams will probably be playing those guys, you know, like maybe a quarter if you're lucky. Uh, we'll even see what happens amidst for where things are at, at that point. So the focus for me is going to be on the Green Bay Packers game. That's a Thursday night game. Even though you're at home, you're coming off of a short week. The question is if you're playing Aaron Rodgers or are you going to be playing Jordan Love because to me, John, this could be a win-loss swing very highly that based upon what happens with Aaron Rodgers during the season. It's one of those few games that I feel pretty dedicated that Cardinals would lose this game in the regular season. I think they could win in the postseason as we've seen before against the Packers, but this is one of those games that I think is a huge swing as far as when I predicted an 8-9 and nine type of record, this could flip it from a losing season record to a winning record if a trade like that went down what are your thoughts in the next four games
1: this is when it starts to pick up i think a little bit more difficult the san francisco game at home i think is is very winnable especially if you're getting a team that maybe wants to pull the trigger on trey lance but is still somewhat committed to jimmy garoppolo Uh, So I do think the Cardinals win that game. Cleveland on the road is difficult just from a personnel standpoint. I don't think the Cardinals match up particularly well with Cleveland, especially with October 17th. It may start to get a little chilly. They've got a premier pass rush outside of their quarterback play. I mean, this may be the most complete roster in the NFL. So I do have them losing uh, week six to Cleveland Houston, week seven. I've mentioned this before. I think this is the let's get DeAndre Hopkins 20 targets and over 200 yards and embarrass them. Same with J.J. Watt, multiple sack game. Houston is going to be in contention for not only the first overall pick. If Deshaun Watson doesn't play, I think there's a possibility they could go winless. And then the Packers on Thursday night football, You know, Green Bay is an interesting team this year because they all have all the makings of a Super Bowl team, but if their quarterback doesn't show up, they could be five and twelve, six and eleven really fast. I still expect Rogers to be there and, and if that's the case, I I don't think the Cardinals win this game. So after starting three and one, I have the Cardinals going two and two in the next quarter of the season. Uh, still above five hundred, but again, losing to teams like the Browns and the Packers, both are Very firm contenders in in the respective conference. That doesn't bode well for this team. But again, the Cardinals themselves have have not been battle-tested. They haven't gone to the postseason. They haven't had that success yet. It was supposed to be last year. Last year was the year they were supposed to kind of get over the hump and sneak into the playoffs, get that experience. But now, put on delay, trying again here in year three with Kyler Murray, so again it's it's hard for me to bet against teams that have already done it especially with the coaching staffs that have been assembled in Green Bay and and, and Cleveland Stefanski's a really bright young mind so again Cliff Kingsbury is going to have to do his best to navigate these difficult games early but I do think they enter the mid midpoint of the season uh, above 500
0: have them at the midpoint of the season, above 500. Uh, that Green Bay game again, I think is, if it flips and it turns out that that is Jordan Love, then I think that will help the Arizona Cardinals massively, um, as well as the national exposure you might get if you can have a stellar defensive performance. Um, or, on the alternative, if you end up seeing a meltdown, that could be one of the games that tanks their season. So, two national football games, two of the biggest games of the year, it looks like. Let's talk about the next four before we shift into the difficult last stretch. This is maybe the easiest stretch of the season to pick as far as being favorable for the Cardinals on paper. Uh, they go again at the San Francisco 49ers. Perhaps this is the Trey Lance era. They play Sam Darnold and the Carolina Panthers, who I think that that is a team that is still going to be searching for their franchise QB. You're on the road at Seattle, a game that they've almost always played well at, contended with. Um, the only type of flip I remember, at least, for the most part, was last year where they did finally get a home victory and then lost on the road. And then you play at Chicago, which is going to be in, I think, a late November game. Uh, they get a bye during Week 12. That's a question also. Is, is it going to be Justin Fields? Much more of a gifted runner, obviously, than the older Andy Dalton. I've got them in this stretch. I looked at the schedule. I'm like, alright, I see them splitting with Seattle. I'll give them the win here on the road, since that's typical. Maybe the Niners are able to pull something off and have a loss there, but I would give them a win against Carolina and a win against Chicago so this would be I think when I was looking at the schedule I think at least for the most part this is probably where I had them at but I had them as two and two in this uh spot last time I've got them at three and one here that gives them an overall I believe a seven and five record heading into the end of the season it was the latter point that was difficult I think as far as with the prediction what are your thoughts at least on this Cardinals stretch for the most part of San Fran Carolina Seattle and Chicago
1: Yeah, I have them losing all three, unfortunately. Um, Again, San Francisco, I don't expect them to sweep. I think they'll split. I think they'll win at home and lose on the road. At Seattle is incredibly difficult, especially before the bye week. Um, Really, it's that swing game at home against...
0: Hey, they've done it before with worse talent, John. Yeah, that's true. They've done it before with worse talent. That's all I'm going to say about Seattle on the road. Yeah,
1: it's difficult, man. At home against Carolina is very much the swing game, week 10 a Carolina team that reminds me a little bit of that Detroit team last year that just hung around long enough. If they can force Darnold into some uncomfortable positions and he turns the ball over, they'll be fine. I just think Carolina just has a lot of underrated talent. I mentioned this on another show that we did. I think it's going to be the Matt Rule versus Cliff Kingsbury College Bowl. Carolina got the better college coach. I do think the Panthers' defensive personnel is is very suspect still. So that could be a game, a high-scoring affair. Can the Cardinals' defense contain uh, Christian McCaffrey? What's he look like coming back from this season? So if there's a swing game in the schedule for me, it's this one. But right now, if I had to guess, I think this is three straight losses for a Cardinal team that's going to be ailing a little bit, entering their bye.
0: All right, and let's move on to the final five games versus the four-game stretch. You've got another Monday Night Football game at home, I believe, against the Rams. This is the uh, MNF game. Uh, This is one of those games. Actually, I, maybe this is the second one. This one might not be the one that's on Monday Night Football, actually. I may double. Yeah, uh, this one is the Monday Night game. This one, I think, is one of those cases because I've got the Cardinals at 7-5 and five at this point. I believe I had them closer to 6-6 six and six on the other side. This is really tough because you've got the game... At home on the Rams, you're going away to Detroit. Jared Goff has always uh, torn up the Cardinals under Sean McVay. When he's been without Sean McVay, he got shell-shocked by the Arizona Cardinals as a rookie. I have that one as a win. And then the last three games of the season are the make it or break it. You're at home in the Christmas game against Indianapolis on the road at Dallas with that offense. Dak Prescott coming off of injury, but I still... defense with a lot of questions for the most part and then you're at home against Seattle I split with Seattle so I had that as a loss I had Detroit as a win so John the question then is how do you sort out the games you got the Rams Indian Dallas if the Cardinals in this scenario can go three and two let's say you can steal one from the Rams you can win at Detroit and then you just split between Indy and Dallas that's a 10 win season that's the checklist I think that you can find in this regard 10 wins for the Cardinals this year That being said, you also can look at the schedule and go, gosh, if they lose to the Rams and if that Dallas team ends up being one of those issues on the road where it's a problem, Seattle's at home, suddenly you're talking about two and three. Well, now you're saying, can can nine wins get you into the playoff? And if you end up finishing in that last stretch of the season with a two and three record, or let's say you're going in at six and six, you're not quite there, you got a shot at it, that would be really, really tough. For me, the one thing that you have to look at, John, is if you finish Losing to the Rams, beating Detroit, and then losing the last three games. I don't see that Cliff Kingsbury would be on this team the next year after having the wheels fall off last season as well. To me, I think that stealing a game from the Rams is critical this season. And even if you don't, then you're probably going to have to pull off at least two games against either Seattle or San Fran. It's going to be very difficult with this back half of the schedule given the fact that you could be playing you know four potential playoff teams Um, assuming Detroit's out of it, in the last five games of the season. Thankfully, at least three of them are at home. What are your thoughts on the final stretch of the season for Arizona? You
1: know, I I look at games against the Bears, the Lions, even the Colts, and I think those are all winnable games. Dallas, their offensive personnel worries me, their their ability to spread the field out. If Dax plan at a high level, 100% recovered from his injury, multitude of weapons in the receiving game, if their offensive line remains relatively intact, um, I, I think that's a, that's a game that could pose a little bit of a challenge, but then you'd argue on the flip side, their defensive personnel isn't great. I think the Cardinals, realistically, to be able to, to secure a postseason spot, and I do think 10 wins is probably the number you'd have to hit, I think they'd have to win four of their final six games. Do I see four wins? I, I, I can see it. Um, I I think that, again, Monday Night Football could be the opportunity to get the monkey off their back with the Rams. And then also uh, Seattle, I mean, let's face it, Blake, they could be locking up the division at that point and and sitting people week 18. You never know, especially now that there's no second team bye. It's only that number one team that gets the bye. A lot more teams that have secured postseason bursts by then, and it's sad we even have to discuss this as an option, are, have, a, have a tendency to sit players in week 18. So, depending on where Seattle is, if they're not playing for anything, that could be a, a, a layup victory we, w- we would hope for the Cardinals. Um, and I'm just not as high on the Colts roster and certainly Carson Wentz as everybody else. I think they're a little bit fraudulent. I actually like how the Cardinals match up with them. To me, it's all about what, do, what kind of outing do we get in Chicago in December? Can the Cardinals bring their run game to Soldier Field? Are they embarrassed or can they hang on Monday night football with the Rams? The Lions at that point, I think, will be in transition mode. And and again, playing probably a lot of young players, rookies to get some experience, not so much concern for wins. And then, you know, what kind of defensive effort are we going to get from Dallas, um, you know, week 17? So if they secure somehow four wins in that final six game stretch, I think that locks it up. I think Cliff gets to the postseason. I'm with you. Ten wins firm firmly gets them in nine is like this past year's eight where you're going to have to be looking at strength of schedule tiebreakers that kind of thing um, it's a doable schedule it's by no means a gauntlet I think that they're fortunate again to be able to play the, a- the AFC South Jacksonville Houston clearly rebuilding you know I'm not sold on the Colts uh, Tennessee I think is a favorable matchup that, that's a doable, doable division out of conference. But again, I, I want to throw a caveat here that there is no NFC East this year. The Cardinals went 4-0 handedly in the NFC East last year. They embarrassed the Giants. They embarrassed the Cowboys. They embarrassed the Redskins when they played. Yeah. And then they narrowly beat the Eagles at the end of the year when neither team was playing relatively well defensively. Uh, there's not that. On the schedule, NFC North for all its warts, does have the Packers and the Vikings that are, are very competent teams. Packers are contenders and who knows, Justin Fields could, you know, revolutionize the city in Chicago and, and that could be a difficult game week 13. So again, I know a lot of people in our mentions on Twitter have seen our projections for this year, even before this podcast, Blake, and are like, well, they've added so much talent. How could they regress? How could they lose more than last year? And I think it's a combination of two things, right? It's a combination of just, I think last year's schedule was easier, and they play a lot of backup quarterbacks. They got a lot of Joe Flacco's, right? And then you combine that with the fact that the division is improved, Seattle and the Rams are improved, and the Niners should just get more confident quarterback play, and their whole team should not implode. And then you, just, you combine that with the fact that what are we getting from Cliff? Can Cliff Kingsbury elevate this team? Go on the road and win critical games in the second half of the year when he just hasn't been able to. So I think that's where a lot of the trepidation comes from because we knew entering this offseason, Blake, like after those two games to end 2020, everyone knew the Cardinal fans would be upset, Michael Bidwell, everybody would be disappointed and they'd be reactionary and they'd go out and have a splashy offseason. And that's what they did. They brought in JJ Watt and Rodney Hudson and AJ Green and Malcolm Butler. They've got impact players immediately from the draft that they're going to play right away. They're saying all, they're doing and saying all the right things. But at the end of the day, they're in the toughest division in probably the last 10 years with three coaches that have all been to the Super Bowl and have had a postseason win in the last 15 months. The Cardinals have not made the playoffs since 2015. And these other franchises, for better or worse, Sean McVay has never had a losing season. Russell Wilson has never had a losing season. San Francisco is the darling of the NFL, has five primetime games, three on Sunday Night Football. It is a massive, massive hill to overclimb, to climb over, if you're Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime. This is not the NFC ETH. So, again, this is not us dogging on the Cardinals so much as it's the deck is stacked against them, even with the additions that they've made.
0: Yeah, I totally agree, John. This is a case where the Cardinals are, you can't just be good in this division. You have to be great. Yep. I love the uh, opinion that you gave, at least overall, John, just talking about with the NFC East. Uh, they played the NFC East and then two games against, I believe, the uh, AFC East last year, Jets, New England, Buffalo, Miami. Closest they'd have for this season maybe mix and match a bit with the Texans, the Jags. Maybe those are bad teams, but the Lions and the Bears. Lions, they, they beat the Cardinals last year. Bears were a playoff team. Maybe that's going to be a bit different, but I think that this is a tougher schedule this year. It's part of why I think you and I are shared saying, hey this is the moment where if the arizona cardinals are going to show and prove that this cliff and this kyman kyler experiment is going to succeed it'll have to start with being able to Take on that challenge of a tougher schedule and go out and win games against good teams. Something that they weren't able to accomplish last year. If they're going to get to the playoffs, that'll wrap it up for us here on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. The schedule breakdown. We'll have uh, more content coming up. It's been a busy time for John and I. We're happy to be able to jump on and get some content this week. A bit of double dipping as well. You can go back and watch our previous. uh, Hopefully, they have the stream available. I believe it's either on Facebook, at least, with the Bird Gang Travel. Um, otherwise, we have that on our ROTB Pod Twitter account. Has retweeted that link for you guys. John, where can the listeners find you?
1: Yeah, we're going to be here all summer throughout the continuation of the offseason here on the Revenge of the Birds podcast, as well as in written form on revengeofthebirds.com. And we will try to do more interactive uh, live streams. Blake's done a great job setting that up through StreamYard on our Twitter accounts, interact, come hang out. We hope that we'll get a couple more personnel moves over the course of the next couple months as we gear up for the season.
0: Definitely. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone, and go Cardinals!